Welcome to Living Martial Arts with Master Ray Gale, aka The Dark Master. Living Martial Arts discuss and examines the everyday exercise, philosophy, and lifestyle of the martial arts enthusiast. The host talks about his own training, past and present, and he also interviews many martial artists to discover how they continue to live their own martial arts journey. Tune in for top tips on how to get the best out of your martial art. Or perhaps you're thinking of starting a martial art. This podcast offers you an easy way to dip your toe in. Sign up for the newsletter at livingmartialarts.com and get regular updates and training tips direct to your inbox. Follow the Dark Master on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Living Martial Arts. Got it. Hi, and hello to uh, the Living Martial Arts podcast listeners. Um, I'm back. It's me, the Dark Master, uh, with the next uh, edition of the Living Martial Arts podcast. We have uh, a great guest today. We have Master Chris Snow. A lot of you may know him. He organizes regular competitions um, for his group, and perhaps we'll be talking about that as we go along. So um, uh, how are you doing, Master Snow? Yeah, fine, sir. Um yeah, I'm just trying to trying to live like everyone else now and get over what's what we've gone through over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's been it's been tough, but uh, I think uh, I always think that the, the, the people um, that have uh, you know martial arts, taekwondo at heart, are going to survive because you know that's that's what we do, isn't it? That's what we do, um, and that's what we know. That's what we live every day. So um, you know, it's nice to nice to know things are going well. But uh, I'm going to crack straight on then with this podcast and as I normally start because that brings up a lot of questions about um, people is really telling the listeners about your your martial arts journey how it started you know how you progress where you are now maybe I don't know things for the future I'm sure we can uh, we'll talk about many things but uh, crack on okay uh, well, well you want me to start here yeah yeah you, you, you go for it tell us about you know your sort of just just generally about your martial arts uh start you know who, who you started with what why you did it you know and um, i'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll interrupt you as you go along <laughs> okay well i um i started my yeah my journey back in well it would have been about eight, 1985 yeah um because my childhood was quite a rough uh childhood so i was in and out of board like uh care uh, boarding sure. schools, home and whatever else. Uh, but I ended up in a boarding school, which was a monthly boarding school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was just, yeah, my, my time there um, yeah, was quite rough because it was run by um, ex-police officers and there was a lot of stuff that went on in, inside them, um, sure. yeah, the actual uh, boarding, stool, uh, boarding schools. Um, so I think by the time I got to around about uh, 12, I was, I chose what happens in boarding school. They, they, you know, you go from a monthly boarding school to a weekly boarding school to try and integrate you back into the uh, community. Yeah. I chose a school that was just so rough. It was just like, you know, I didn't realise. I mean, they said, right, here's three schools. And I literally just dotted the one in the middle and said, I'll go to that one. And little did I know that I was um, about to um, <laughs> get a bit of a beat down and obviously see some serious stuff. And I was like, hold on a minute. I better learn how to fight. Otherwise I'm going to be in trouble because <laughs> yeah. The kids there were just like, well, they were just, we, the way it was sort of like um, putting yellow pages was something along the lines of, you know, children with, um, you know, like disability and not disabilities like what you've got now. It's like yeah. learning difficulties. Yeah. The kids were just like, there was loads of stuff going on in their life. Sure. Um, so obviously the kids were quite um, angry and, you know, so like every day you get up, you get into a fight 
I mean, I always, I always tell the story to my students and they think it's quite funny. And I, I don't <laughs> think it's funny. I said, I, I'm 11 years of age. I go into this school and uh, this big guy comes up to me. He was like a fifth year and he was huge. And like, he's got about seven or eight friends with him. Yeah. And he starts talking nice to me and he's like, um, hello, you new here, blah, blah. And I was, yeah, yeah, it's, it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon, which means that it's dinner time. Yeah. And next thing, I'm thrown against the wall, punched in the face, punched in the stomach. He beats me up, puts his hand in my pocket, takes my money. Right. And this happens um, for the next week, more or less every day. Yeah, yeah. He beats me up, takes my money, goes off and buys himself some tuck and sort of like his mates are just laughing. And I think by the time I get to Friday, I'd obviously started there on a Monday. By the time I get to Friday, I'm thinking to myself, listen, I've just been through three and a half years of abuse from a, a head, care, head of care that was actually in charge of me at uh, Hostel 4. This yeah. is actually in, my, uh, in the last magazine that we just released. Sure. Um, and I thought to myself, I need to do something because this guy is going to continue doing this for the next year until he leaves. He's like a fifth year, so he was due to yeah. leave. And I remember him, I sort of positioned myself by the steps He's come over and he's punched me in the face and he's threw me against the thing and started beating me up again. And all I could think was just like literally bear hug him. I couldn't fight for Jack. Yeah. And we rolled down these stairs, which are concrete stairs. He ends up taking the brunt because he's bigger than me and I'm like, you know, shorter. Yeah. Um, and I sort of climb up his body and, and I always make my students laugh because I said that I couldn't fight for Jack. I said, I literally, all I was doing is like slapping him. And yeah, I'm yeah. like, um, the teachers obviously come running out and sort of like this guy's covered in blood and everything. And they thought I'd beaten this guy up. And then the headmaster <laughs> says to me, I've never seen anyone beat up a fifth year like that. Yeah. And I'm like, well, thankfully, no one saw what happened. His mates have seen it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, basically after that, a, a couple of friends sort of like uh, that I knew that were already at the school that were fifth years too, they said there's going to be a hit on you because if you go to these sort of schools, yeah. Um, they kind of put like a hit on you, which means that they come up, you know, into your bedroom or into your dormitory around 11, 12 at night. And what they would do is put snooker balls into like a pillowcase and just beat the living daylights out of you. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I knew what was going on, but these two lads actually protected me. Uh, but one of them called Graham, he was a martial artist. Yeah. And he says to me, Chris, um, he says, you've got to learn how to fight. He goes, I'm leaving here in a year's time. And he goes, if you don't. Right. Um, he yeah. said, you are going to get, you know, he goes, they're going to come looking for you because they're waiting obviously to seize their time to actually get you. Right. Um, and I think um, after that, I, you know, I started looking around Kung Fu, um, Tang Sudo, nothing sort of suited me. Even went to one of my friends, Darren, he, he said to me, come and do boxing. And I went to boxing. Um, and for some reason, this guy starts pulverizing me in the ring and I lift the <laughs> knee up and kick him in the face, but I've never done martial arts before. Yeah, yeah. Instructor says to me, he goes, you're not suitable for boxing. He goes, get out of my ring. <laughs> yeah, I had a right go. <laughs> um, and then, like I said, uh, Graham says to me, you know, you, you know, go and try martial arts. But then eventually I found Taekwondo and found yeah, it yeah. Was suitable for me because um, I've got 36 inch legs. So, right. you know, my legs by the time I was 15, um, yeah. yeah, so I was, you know, I was literally, I was much taller than everybody anyway. But even at 12, I was quite tall. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, basically my friend says to me, you know, Tang Sudo is probably not going to be any good for you, but I tried all different things and he was right. Taekwondo was the one. When I found yeah, yeah. that, I sort of kind of fell in love with it, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's it's an amazing story because, you know, uh, uh, people have asked me about Taekwondo and why I started. And I said, well, listen, I was a black boy growing up in the 60s in inner city Bristol and I was yeah. small. I had to learn to fight because uh, there was some, you know, some stuff going on at that time. Um, and obviously there was a, 
uh, a, a sort of a, a Jamaican population in the middle of Bristol. And, um, you know, obviously there was a lot of racism and stuff like that. And there was still signs, you know, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Oh <laughs> and, and, and still like that. So I often said to people that, um, you know, myself and uh, Master Oldborn, that, you know, you know, we grew up together. And, um, you know, if, if he was going to fight, well, I was going to fight. And, it, and if I was going to fight, he was going to fight. And, you know, we, we protected each other, really. Uh, and and that, that's how it was. But I actually got on quite well at school because I was a really good footballer and rugby player. And um, so I, I got the respect from a lot of people. Um, and I was, I was quite, a, I don't know, a t- <laughs> quite, quite resilient quite quite tough you know I wasn't I wasn't scared at school to get into a tackle in rugby no matter who they were or how big they were um and I think I got I got a lot of respect that way so but once people saw I was sort of quite a, a good sportsman they sort of you know I was one of the guys so, so to speak um so it wasn't too bad that was secondary school because Master O and I we went to the same junior school but when we went to secondary schools we went to different schools uh, but we always used to meet after school, you know, and uh, play around with each other, and uh, you know, play in the park and so on. But that's that's a really interesting interesting story, and it's uh, it's 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 amazing, really, because you know I've spoken to a lot of martial artists who, you know, have started like that because they thought, right, you know, I need to learn how to defend myself. Yeah. Whatever, you know, it, it wasn't a sort of oh, I want to you know do something. What shall I do? Um, it was really out of necessity um, from, from there. So who who did you? Um, when you started Taekwondo, uh, who who were who? Were, what sort of group were you with? I was with um, a guy actually. I've, I've just got in touch with again. Um, he's on my Facebook, which is Billy Weigel, and okay. he's like a. Um, I think at the moment he's like a fifth degree, but he's been honest to God. He should be like a grandmaster now because when yeah. I, I started with him, he was doing this style called um, advanced street fighting with Taekwondo Midwest or something. I think they were called. Oh yeah, Midwest. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was training with him. Um, yeah, basically, I'd, I'd done about nine months, ten months with him. And Billy was absolutely fantastic. But what attracted mm. me to him was um, it was down at the, the Corn Sports Centre. And I'd seen this poster and he, he was headbutting through these tiles that were on fire. And I was, for some unknown reason, I was like, oh, that's the guy I'm going to learn how to fight with, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I soon realised that, obviously, because um, Billy was like all saying to us, like, you've got to make sure that you 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 grade up but I kept refusing to grade mm. and then I, I moved over to a guy called John McDonald who uh, actually oh. sat down with me oh yeah I know I remember John yeah you remember John <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 I remember the, the dreadlocks and stuff yeah 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 yeah, yeah, you, yeah I remember him well well he well, he was running a, a class in St Albans I think he was the second Dan yeah um, and he sat me down and he, and he actually said to me yeah uh, there was no messing around he said look you've got a grade he said you can't he goes you've been doing this for what nine ten months he goes you need to grade up and I was like um, I don't want to grade, I just want to learn to fight. And he was like, I ain't going to work. He goes, you need to grade up because so that you can actually test your ability yeah. and you can see yourself. He goes, I know that you don't really believe in grades. Um, then he sort of yeah. kind of pushed me in the, the journey. And I was with him probably for about nine months until there was a big issue at St. Albans. And um, yeah. because of all the aggravation, I remember John standing up and saying, because they, they used to, I mean, I used to be petrified to go and spar. Yeah. Because the guys that were there, I mean, St. Albans like, at the time, back in the, I mean, sort of late 80s, was like yeah. full of head cases. Yeah, and yeah. he was attracting all these head cases and everyone was beating the hell out of each other. So you'd yeah. always come out of there with you know, busted nose, nose, you know, teeth broken or whatever else. And he was like, everyone was always looking to hurt each other. And I remember John just got the right arm and he just said, look, do you guys want to fight? He goes, I'll, I'll hire a minibus. I'll take you down to Coventry and stand in Coventry um, town yeah. centre. 
And he goes, I'm sure loads of people will oblige you. Um, and then the club sort of kind of this thing, you know, it, it, it fell apart yeah, yeah. after that because he was just fed up with the way that they were, um, you know, the way they were treating Taekwondo. And yeah. I mean, he had some great fighters, to be honest. They were really tough, but they were just literally using it for the wrong reason. Yeah. Um, and then I went to Tony Manning, obviously, and I spent 16 oh, yeah, years yeah. Tony, I, I um, Tony, yeah. with Manning now. And, yeah. um, you know, basically he was, he was definitely my real Taekwondo father because he educated me correctly. Um, you know, yeah. but obviously because of allegiances with, obviously he was with the BUTF. I was with the BUTF for 10 years with him. Mm. Um, but because of the way things happened between us, you know, I had to call it a day and just say, look, I've got to go on my own path and yeah, obviously yeah. do my own things. Cause I, I think I always wanted to do, um, you know, do some things my own myself, you know, because yeah, yeah. I wanted to do things my own way, but I knew in the BUTF I just couldn't do it. And um, yeah, yeah. that's why I actually left. You know, when people say to me, I bet you're glad you left them because you've got, I said, no, 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 BUTF educated us perfect. Mm, yeah. Um, BUTF has educated some amazing fighters out there that are actually on the scene now. Um, yeah, yeah. So no one can take that away. They, they produce some really good fighters and produce good, uh, good quality people. <clears throat> it's just, yeah, that, they, that's good. yeah. Yeah. It's just, he did, you know, it didn't suit me where yeah, I yeah. was because obviously Grandmaster Choi was a very strong force and, you know, if I'd gone to him and said, look, I want to do some championships, I want to do this, I want to do that, um, I don't think he would have allowed me to do it the way I wanted to <laughs> No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, well, no. I remember Raymond Choi a lot. Had, um, um, I mean, he, he came down and graded us in, in Bristol a couple of times in the seven, in the late 70s because uh, yeah. Ma- <laughs> Master E couldn't make it for whatever reason. Um, and obviously, at that time, Master E was doing um, bulk of the gradients and we were with uh, UKTA at the time. Um so yeah, I remember um, uh, Raymond Choi. I mean, I think I think the last time uh, I, I saw him, um, you know, I think he he'd recently gone into a wheelchair at that time. Um, yeah, I, I think at that, that point. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was. Um, you, you mentioned some interesting names there, John McDonald, um, uh, Master Ogborn used to spar with him because uh, they were they were in the same weight category, uh, and they always used to have quite a quite a ding dong. Uh, at tournaments, championships, and so on, and um, yeah, it, it was good. I, I always wondered. Um, I don't know. He, he sort of disappeared from the scene. Yeah, uh, probably late eighties, maybe, or, yeah. or a bit bit before that. Um, always wondered what happened to him. Uh, but it was, it was a shame because yeah, he had some good some good bouts with uh, Master Rob Warren. It was good, and also I remember um, all these names come back to me now <laughs> from the uh, from the seventies and uh, and eighties. But going back to what you said about the BUTF, they did have some great fighters. I remember, uh, I think it was the very first BTC competition. I fought a guy um, from the BUTF, and he was one of um, Master Wolf's students um, at the time. He had fair hair, and I cannot remember his name, and he was an awesome kicker, awesome kicker. And I remember we, I fought him over two rounds, and I thought, cannot outkick this guy at all he's so good so in the end i started just using my hands it's just uh, just getting in so i thought there's no point in um uh in kicking him because he's gonna outkick me so i started using my hands but it was a, it was a nice bout and they did have some great um uh, some good fighters btf i will say uh really really enjoyed uh, my time at that time yeah i mean i've, I've had certain grandmasters sort of said to me over the years mm. oh you know the best thing you ever done was left um the BUTF and I'm like I will say to people look you know what understand this I will never slate the BUTF because I loved them I loved everything I loved 
um, Grandmaster Choi. I loved. I had many many sessions where he took me one to one and helped me. Yeah. Um, but it's just basically it, could, it didn't suit what was going on, and I got to a point where, um, I mean, I for since I mean I got beaten up when I was I think I was probably about fourteen fifteen. Right. And I thought I was a right jack the lads, and I had a fight with this guy. I mean, I'm I've always been quite fearless, and yeah, I was yeah. stood outside my house, obviously doing some training, and this guy walks past with his mates, and uh, I knew who he was. He was like a local yobbo, and he was a real freaking hard nut. I yeah. learned afterwards, but I learned a hard way. And I and he's I don't know what he said. He starts calling me names, walks down the road, and I yeah. think okay, I'm going to go out. So I said to mum, I goes. Mum, I'm going down the road. My dad was dying of cancer and he was literally, he died literally about a year later. Yeah. Um, but um, what happened is I went, I'm going down the road, get some chips. I've gone down the chip shop and as I've gone into the chip shop, he starts calling me names again and I realised how big he was. And I remember thinking to myself, Chris, retreat, retreat. You've got to get out of here because you're going to get your head kicked in. And I did yeah. get my head kicked in. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he just, he literally walked up behind me and uh, he, you know, basically, I mean, I bought me chips and stuff and I sort of kind of retreated, let him swear at me and everything. And I thought, oh, he's, he's bigger than me. He looks a lot powerful. And I'd heard all these stories. And for the first time in my life, I thought, you know what, just walk away from this. Yeah. Um, and I sort of kind of walked away, but it was too late. He just, he wanted to fight. And I remember yeah. hitting this guy with a, a turning kick in the face when he grabbed me around the, like, on the collar yeah. and he punched me in the face. So I kick him with a turning kick in the face. And the next thing, I'm on the floor and I'm coming around conscious. He's got his knee in my throat and he's punching me in the face. So I look like the elephant man for about four or five weeks after. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I learned a very valuable lesson. I mean, and the, the weird thing about it is that he actually um, yeah, became one of my real close friends. All right. you know, he came to me afterwards and he said, you know, he goes, you, you gave me a good fight. He goes, even though you're younger than me and whatever. And, he goes, and the fact that you had the guts to stand up against me, because most people just bottle it because my reputation yeah. and I thought well um I'm not going to bottle it I said and that's obviously the way I've been brought up and yeah, obviously yeah. what was happening with um going back to the BETF my I, I kept feeling like when I was you know after that day I started training um and I had done you know since I was about 15 I think um and it was yeah basically I mean I do two hours every day so even if I'm going out and teaching like on a Monday I'll be teaching for four hours yeah, I'll be yeah. doing six hours of Taekwondo yeah, um, and I like to get involved with my students and do the fitness. Yeah, yeah. I, I spar with them. I do everything I can as much yeah. as I can. Though it's getting harder as you get older. But um, so and I was <laughs> and I was I was forever arguing with um, Grandmaster Choi because I was just saying no, it ain't gonna happen. Yeah. Um, and it was getting to the point where I was kind of being disrespectful to him because I was going no, I don't care what you say. You don't yeah. talk to my students like that. He'd come to a grade and he'd have a gut my students and say something about their weight or whatever. And I'd go hold on. You don't talk to them like that. And he'd say to me, if you've got a problem, he goes, leave the BTF. So eventually I kind of felt like I had no choice. But yeah, yeah. I always say to everybody, the amount of love and respect I had for that guy. Um, and obviously even my own instructor, I don't talk to him now, you know, because yeah. we've had issues. But um, as far as I'm concerned, it's just like I still love him because he's my Taekwondo father. Yeah, yeah. And he's the person that nurtured me and, and took me to where I am and taught me and you know, and God, I mean, Tony Manning, his sessions were so hard. Um, you know, I'm often criticised by my own students that the sessions are so hard and the black belts just say, oh, my God, you know, you kill us sometimes. I'm like, well, I'm only teaching the way my instructor taught me because everything yeah, you yeah. do is a learned behaviour, really. And, you know, yeah. um, but you try and remove the rot, you know, things that your instructor didn't, you didn't feel happy with. 
and you try and enhance what, what they've done. Like I find when I talk to um, instructors about, obviously, Grandmaster Choi, I say to him, fantastic coach, fantastic instructor, amazing at more or less everything he does, but his people skills was to be desired because like oh, he, had, he had one way of doing things yeah. and it was like, if you didn't like it, bog off, yeah. <laughs> you know, off you go down the road and he, he didn't care. And, you know, I think with that attitude, you can't, because society has moved forward, Yeah, you can't do that anymore. You can't shout at your students. You can't say to parents, you know, like one of his famous sayings was uh, parents drop your kids off outside the class and clear off. You yeah. can't say that to parents. You've got to try and work with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep coming to keep your finances going, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is tough. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, I mean, I I, I I, didn't have that many run-ins with him, but Master Ogborn had a, a number of <laughs> run-ins with, uh, <laughs> with, with him. Um, yeah, so, that doesn't uh, surprise me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, number of, uh, of run-ins, definitely. Uh, it was always um, – it was funny because Master Ree was originally doing our gradings, and then a couple of times, as I said, when he when, – um, Master um, Choi came down, and uh, once he came down the first time, everyone went, "Oh, we don't want him back again." <laughs> he, tough, he was tough. He was. He was. Yeah. There, there we go. Well, you, you, you mentioned a bit about you know about your your, your teaching and so on. Do you, um, do you just run uh, a number of schools in in your area, and, and do you teach throughout throughout the week? I mean, I, I currently teach sort of four uh, four days a week. Um, I tend Same to, yeah. yeah, I yeah. tend to do gradings uh, uh, weekends um, and so on, and uh, you know the odd, odd, odd seminar. But uh, I mean, I, I found that you know I, I like to put a bit of time away f- for my uh, my guitar playing. I like playing guitar, harmonica. Um, I also um, uh, a number of different things. I, I've got a, mo- a few motorbikes, and I like to go out and you know ride those and just chill out when i've got time as well so uh, although i could do more teaching i do a couple of private lessons as well but although i could do more teaching i i try and just keep that time for myself how, how do you sort of manage your week um yeah it's, it, it's quite hard i mean i, I obviously weekends I, I dj yeah um which i've been djing for about 20 years now i, I just love i think um, I mean, my two other hobbies that I've got is uh, one is obviously tropical fish keeping, which I've done oh, for wow. 25 years. Oh, wow. That's um, fantastic. So like like this morning, for instance, just before we came on here, I was literally doing a water change, but my tank is actually huge. So yeah. it's yeah, take, I've had to take five buckets of water out, clean it, do the filters, you know, clean everything and then you know, get it all ready. But um, it just because yeah. every two weeks, the thing with fish keeping, every two weeks you've got to basically keep on top. And make sure the ammonias are kept down, and you know, just basically keep it, you know, like the water levels correct. Otherwise, you do lose fish um, yeah. quite a bit, and it's quite an expensive hobby. Yes, like, it is. Yeah, you know everything else. You know, DJing is an expensive hobby, even though um, I'm only—I mean, I'm semi-professional as a DJ. I don't do clubs. Um, you know, I'm more sort of like—I um, mean, people often say to me, "Oh, do you mix?" Blah blah blah, and I'm like, I do when I'm at home. But yeah. I never do when I'm out because when I'm out, I'm just like I don't want to. But I don't want to be one of the DJs that's um, mixing, and then you have got two galloping horses. Yeah. yeah sometimes yeah. a mix goes wrong. You're just like, oh no, it's not worth it. So I would rather literally just do the, you know, yeah, just yeah. blend it in, put sure. the next uh, record on, fill the floor, and worry about obviously keeping the floors busy all the time. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I am a. Um, I mean, I, my passion is music. I love eighties, nineties. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So like, I mean, I done um, done a gig a few weeks ago, and it was weird. They said to me, oh, we've only got 20 people coming, but it was one of the best gigs I've done. 
and it was a 70s night. So they all turned up looking like Mick Jagger, T-Birds and all that. And it was great because I was like <laughs> in my element playing all this yeah, old yeah. music that I'd grown up on, you know, 70s music. Um, so I was literally doing all that, all doing uh, the rock, you know, rock groups, which was really good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And they just went mad. And it, even though you had 20 people, yeah, there was more atmosphere than some of the parties I do where I've got like two, 300 people standing in front of me and you don't get no atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you get them sort of like pocket, what I call pockets. You might get 30, 40 people on the floor. Then they go off and have a drink because the generous change, you've gone from the 80s to the 90s. And then obviously the 90s crowd come along, they're a little bit more rowdy because they're younger. Um, and I find with the youngsters, um, I've done one, I think it was back in November, and it was a marquee. And they said to me, oh, yeah, there's only going to be 50 uh, 18-year-olds there. So 18 is 21. And it ended up being like 300 people there. And it was wow. just like, it was an amazing night. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, I think Taekwondo is my, you know, my release. It's how I release um, a lot of the stuff that's gone on in my past. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, before, um, I mean, basically what it is, it's, it, again, it's in the magazine. It's just basically I was, I went into this boarding school. I was in a, a hostel called Hostel 4. The head of care um, or the, yeah, basically the head of care, he, he rang like a, a paedophile ring. Um, so obviously what happened was the kids were you know, basically interfered with. Yeah. Luckily, I was only molested. And yeah. then because what happened, when it happened to me, he used to take you down to the wing and then put his hands down your trousers and all that. Yeah. So for some, I mean, even though the way I was as a youngster, I ended up punching him in the groin. And right. this guy bent over. And then for three and a half years after, he just literally, um, yeah, he just treated me really bad. Like he grabbed me by the hair and pulled me down the wing. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, basically one time I was sitting underneath a, a snooker table, a kid, one of the other kids, I was about nine and a half, he pushed a, a um, I think it was like a dinky car, he's gone into his foot. This guy stood up, he's gone absolutely mad. Yeah, yeah. And then Brian, who stood by the side of me, he's only been there a couple of weeks, they're all crying, all the kids. So I'm one of the oldest kids. And obviously this treatment's been happening all the time. And I sort of yeah. kind of look and I think, oh, Christ, he's, he's, he's after someone. And he tried to grab me. And as he's pulled me out, like from underneath the snooker table, my head's uh, not the top of the snooker table. Mm. I've lost uh, consciousness. And then he's lifted me up and slapped my legs until I've ended up with welts all over my legs wow. um, and bruising. Yeah. But he was just, he was a nasty piece of work. Um, yeah. But then, you know, the, the way I was through my childhood was um, I obviously bottled a lot of this up. So it wasn't until, yeah. I, until he, he hung himself because six kids went forward. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so like six kids went forward, but they they obviously yeah unfortunately were raped by the guy, and he was an absolute piece of work. Um, but yeah. with kids like myself, we sort of stood in the background when he died. Um, I actually I remember it was I was I mean one of the teachers had phoned me. Uh, I think it was that Friends Reunited or something. Okay, and she yeah. contacted me by that, and she said, you know, he's hung himself uh, on the day of sentencing, mm. and something happened to me. I had like a, a small nervous breakdown. I was about thirty eight. Mm. Um, and what happened was I, I literally just, I, I closed down my clubs mm. and for some unknown reason, I kind of said, well, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with Taekwondo. And I, I felt like, um, for me, I felt like I'd been trying to protect myself in case I ever met this guy. And I was so angry with what he had done to me. Yeah. Um, and the other kids, but yet when he died, everything, I kind of lost everything. But yet my wife bought me a, um, a book, which was Dog the Bounty Hunter. It was, it was his um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, And it was his story. And I think there was something in there that grabbed me that I actually realised that, you know what, I've been doing Taekwondo for myself. 
I haven't been doing it for him. And I went yes. back to Taekwondo and what happened is uh, for 11 years now, I've, I feel I've been living the dream, you know, before oh, I was wow. kind of practicing because I had a lot in go, gone on in my past and, you know, I haven't done no counselling. I've had no counselling. Yeah. Writing the, the um, you know, bringing it out and talking to people has helped me a lot. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I think now, um, I mean, even on my, on my belt, everybody that meets me, they always say, what is that? Because I've got a thing that says the promise was achieved. Um, my dad died when I was 16. Um, yeah, yeah. And I remember, because he obviously had a brain tumour, um, and I remember basically that's when I went off the rails, got in loads yeah. of fights, got in loads of trouble, uh, was arrested. You name it, <laughs> I've had it. Yeah. <laughs> I've kind of lived a very um, colourful life. And yeah, yeah. so when dad died of cancer, um, I went off the rails, started yeah. fighting all the time. But then a friend of mine, he actually, again, I, I quit Taekwondo for six months, I think it was, or, uh, yeah, it was about six months, got involved with drugs, got involved with a local gang. We were all constantly fighting. Um, you know, anyone who wanted to fight, we'd get in a car and go and fight. And that's, and it's, you know, then this, um, my family started getting the right up with me because it was like, you know, I was treating my mum bad. I was treating my sisters bad. I've got four sisters. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then my sister and me, my eldest sister, she decided to punch me a couple of times. I didn't hit her back or anything. Yeah. I was angry. Um, and then they had some friends around the house for, uh, for tea. And this old guy was about 45 called Terry. I mean, you probably would have seen this on Facebook. Um, but it's a fantastic story because he, I you know, steamed out the house to my sister, don't you ever put your effing hands on me again? You know, yeah. you do that yeah. again, I'll smack you uh, straight in the mouth, blah, blah, blah. I was angry. Um, and then this old guy <laughs> sort of come running down the street and he's about 45 and he's like, Oi, I want a word with you. And I'll turn around and goes, You want some? And uh, he goes, Yeah, come on in. He didn't throw a punch. He grabbed me and he must have, he was like a python. He yeah. literally held onto my neck and he put his legs around me. We we're on the floor. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do nothing. <laughs> and then anger turned into tears. Yeah, yeah. And then this guy sat with me for about an hour and a half um, and just sort of said to me, You're in. You're involved with drugs. He said, um, you're, you're drinking a lot. He said, you're fighting all the time. He said, what, yeah, what happened to Taekwondo? And he was the guy that actually brought me back to Taekwondo. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, he got me out of the gangs. He got me back on the, the, the road to success again. And that was obviously when I was 16. Yeah, yeah. But then in 2016, he actually came to our uh, award ceremony, which is the 25th, uh, 25th year of my clubs. And I introduced yeah, yeah. him to everybody. And I said, those of you that are here, I said, and that know me, I said, this is the guy that actually put me back into Taekwondo. And that was the one guy, the guy for Terry Hobbs, yeah, um, yeah. who sadly died a few, I think it was um, probably about two, three months back. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I was quite gutted about that. But, you know, again, when I met him, I hadn't seen him for 30 odd years. Um, yeah. But I remember what happened at 16. Uh, the reason why I've got this writing on my belt is at 16, I, you know, they, I was you know, sat outside. I was very angry. I was angry with the world. I was angry with dad that he was going to be leaving me and they said to me you've got to go and say goodbye and that's the hardest thing you can actually do mm. and I remember holding my dad's hand mm. and just saying to him one day you know I will be a master I'll make you proud um, and then from there obviously when I got my master's in 2000 and um, yeah 2016 mm. um, basically I decided you know the 27 year promise would be put on my belt so it's yeah. always the, the, the main point of conversation when people see me what is that and I tell them the story and they go that's a lovely story you know it's um it's nice to know that you've you stay true to that and I yeah, said yeah. trust me it's not been easy 
But I said, because I got there to the Masters, um, I said, I've, you know, I, I put it on my belt. I won't yeah, have yeah. it you know, on my eight or nine or whatever. It's just literally for the seven because it's like that was my promise. And yeah, now, yeah. like I said, I feel like I'm doing Taekwondo for myself. Um, yeah. you know, and I, I love I love training in Taekwondo because I feel that um, not in everyday life, I'm on three cylinders. But when I'm in a Taekwondo class, probably yeah. the same as you and anyone else who's listening, yeah. um, you're on five cylinders, you know, because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. an amazing high, you know. It, it is. It's, I mean, that's a fantastic story. I mean, it really is. I, I there, there's. A, I mean, I won't men- mention the name, but there's another um, master that I know uh, who has told me a similar story. He grew up in a in a children's home, um, yeah. And it, some of the things he told me that went on, uh, I was thinking, wow, you know. Um, I mean, I, I was um, when you were quite lucky, but I mean, you know, my my, my mother was my inspiration, and she, she was the person that. Uh, encourage me to do what I did and what I'm doing today. Um, you know, I, I was quite a bright kid. You know, I, I went to um, uh, well at the time a grammar school actually. I passed my eleven plus, and, and when I left school, I was an aircraft engineer. I worked as a development engineer at Rolls Royce. Uh, wow. I, was wor- I was working on the the Concorde engine, um, and you know that that that. that was fantastic and my mum was so pleased but then I remember coming home and saying uh, you know I want to give up and be a taekwondo <laughs> instructor <laughs> and uh, my dad lost his mind <laughs> uh, but my mum said look I believe in you if you can if you want to do it and it's your you know you feel you can you can do it just go for it uh, and uh, she supported me even to the day she died and when she died you know I was holding her hand as she uh, as she passed um, you know she meant the world to me and, and the, the other person that was there with me uh, as my mum was uh, was passing away, it was Master Ogborn. And, oh my uh, god! Yeah, he, we were both there at the same time, and uh, I get I get emotional thinking about it. But um, yeah, sort of coming back to that, the friend that I have who's quite a um, started martial arts again, Taekwondo in the seventies. You know, he grew up in a children's home, um, and he went through a period. It's very similar to yours of, of violence. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and fights and the, the usual stuff. Exactly. To be honest, a very similar story to what you're telling there. I think. Um, I mean, to, you know. to be honest with you, I think any kids that have been in boarding schools and homes and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, I find. Well, I often say to people, you know, obviously through my colourful past, as if to say, I, I, I don't go too much into detail with students because you don't want them to yeah. know, obviously, your past. But um, I will say to them, that the biggest problem was with boarding schools. They they kind of, you turn 16, they push you out of the school, push you out the door. They don't tell you, you know, what yeah. to expect. So obviously when, when I left school, um, you know, it was like literally I was pushed out the door and I was told, you know, go off and you know, fly or whatever. Um, yeah. And it, I, I think, you know, if they'd educated us probably um, from 16 up to about, I think, 20. Yeah. And so many fights and troubles and whatever else. And like, some, I mean, my, my fuse used to be so... Sure, it's ridiculous, but yet now because I've had kids, when I first yeah. had my first kid, for instance, um, you know, basically my fuse became a lot bigger. Yeah. So then I started thinking, and obviously, I think as an instructor, you become very, very comp- uh, confined and yeah. controlled because people do, you know, as you can imagine, when when I'm DJing, sometimes, you know, I mean, I've had people yeah. say to me, "If you don't play my record, I'm going to kick your head in." And you're just like, "Nah, nah, <laughs> this, yeah. this ain't happening." <laughs> you, yeah. you do. You really you start seeing the red mist, and then you think, "Hold on a minute, behave yourself." Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, I'm not going to say that 
um, there's I had one situation where one guy um, we, we were doing a garage uh, night R and B garage night yeah fantastic night and this guy came over asked for a record I said to him I haven't got it I'll play you you know basically something else by him yeah comes over about ten minutes later he's absolutely drunk out of his head and he said if you don't do this I'm going to rape you your wife I'm going to do and I literally goes I went on the microphone I said to the guys yeah about three hundred people I went ladies and gentlemen said um. I'll be back in five minutes. I just need to sort something out. And I literally walked across the dance floor, grabbed this guy with glide by the throat, took him through the double doors and threw him on the grass. I shut both the doors and put a chair by the door so no one could get out. His mates could get out. Yeah. Um, and I said to him, repeat what you just said. And he wouldn't. He was like, oh, I was messing around. And he was like really scared. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, I walked back in and everyone was clapping, you know, and they were like, you know, his, his friends come up to me and said, we heard what he said. We're really sorry about that. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, but the next day, the, the hotel were like, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to get, they're going to sack me. Um, <laughs> but actually, brought, they called me in because I, I had a contract with them. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. just said to me, they said, look, we know what happened. Um, then a year later, I'd done the same thing. There another 300 people there, um, sort of same group of lads there, but they didn't have this guy there. And they said, yeah. well, he was, they said, after what he'd done, we've obviously disowned him because he was bang out of order. what he said. I said, he said, I'll rape your wife and I'll rape your kids. I said, and that's. I said, yeah. I weren't having that. I said, and, you know, I didn't hit him. Yeah. But to this day, I mean, obviously the only thing I did do, which could be uh, class and attack, was I grabbed him by the throat and I was holding him really tight yeah, and yeah. threw him onto the grass and just said to him, repeat what you said. Yeah, Had yeah. he repeated, I don't know if I, what I would have done, I probably would have hurt him. But um, I think I was so angry with what he'd said. Um, yeah, yeah. But thankfully, his friends kind of saved my job and the, the managers sort of said no. You know, we, we, we understand what you've done, but in future, you must make sure you con uh, contact the doorman. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, the problem is, I said, it's all right saying contact the doorman. The doorman are never around when you need them. Yeah. And I said, it's like security, you know, police. I said, you're getting your head caved in. You've got to fight back or whatever and defend yourself. I said, they're never yeah. around. I said, in they're the, dealing in the with moment. something else. So, <laughs> well, uh, do, you, do you know what? It's funny. We, we've got certain, certain parallel lines. Because I actually used to do a bit of relief DJing, believe it or not. Um, really? at, yeah, at a, at a uh, place close to, uh, in fact, close to where I train now, uh, there was um, a friend of mine who was a black belt, um, and uh, he used to do a DJ, he used to be DJ, and he said, look, you know, when I'm not there, do you want to take over? So I used to do some uh, some relief stuff for him, and uh, I quite enjoyed it. I remember a few years ago, a woman came up to me and said, oh, are you... Did you used to do? Oh, you were a DJ at my wedding. Oh, it's uh, really, yeah. really yeah, stuff, stuff like that. So that that was quite nice. Um, but uh, and and also with with the music, um, you know, I, I was very very passionate, uh, particularly about um, uh, uh, late seventies, early eighties breakdancing. I used to be a breakdancer. Oh yeah, breakdancing. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I could, I could still do a, a little bit now. <laughs> I do I do a bit in the class. I get the kids sort of copying me and doing a bit of locking and popping, and um, I quite enjoy that. But uh, you know, mu music uh, has always been uh, one of my passions as well. Uh, you know, I I, I love um, uh, all genres of music. Actually, I, I do, um, and uh, it, it, you know. Set up, I sort of play guitar and I, I like um 1920s, 30s blues as well, finger picking, and um, you know, right up to um, you know, I saw Prince uh, five times at Wembley, for example, Wembley Arena, uh, who was a great entertainer. Um, so yeah, I, I like all, all types of music and I can take you know different things from, from different genres, whether it be blues, rock, soul, RB, you know, I, I, I love it all. And um, yeah, music's music's great. I mean, it's 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 just such a a release, you know, um, and I, I mean, I, like I said, I love DJing, 
but it is getting harder to be honest with you because it's just like you know some if you get a um like weddings or a nightmare if you get a yeah uh, bridezilla you're in trouble you know <laughs> I mean, i've had a couple of them and they're just really hard work to deal with and it's like all you're praying for is can't wait for the end of the, the night because you're done yeah. because even though you pat the floor they're just like the bridezilla is just constantly in your ear and you're just like oh my god seriously you can see that the, the floor is busy you can see everyone's dancing but yet they want everything their way and you're just like yeah. oh my god you know and once it's over i'm kind of like just biting my lip you know and they're sort of still perching in your ear you didn't do this and you're like no but the floor was busy so you can't complain but unfortunately when people book the uh, discos yeah some of them are very intent on saying i want it my way and it's like oh yeah 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 you know, i mean i had a, a woman who got married and she said to me it's got to be all country western well, <laughs> I, I set up at three o'clock they came in at half past three and by five o'clock everybody had left and this woman's in tears crying her eyes out saying to me, um, you know, basically, um, you know, what's happened? And I said, you told me I'm not allowed to come off country wrestling. I told you three times what yeah. was going to happen. I said, you didn't listen to me. Um, and it, it just ended up where, you know, I, I, I don't know. It just, you know, I, I was so devastated myself. She was there in tears, her and her yeah. husband. And I was like, you've totally messed this up. And I even said to her when I'd done the contract, I said, you have to understand if you choose your own music, I said, your guests are going to leave. I said, when I do a wedding, I'm doing four or five different uh, genres of different music. Yeah, yeah. I said, and them four or five genres of music, um, it you know, spans 10 years on each one. And therefore, yeah. you're catering for everybody. You're not catering just for one person. And she, you know, um, I actually said to the woman, I took the money back over. I said, look, there's the envelope. There's the money. I said, um, don't worry about it. There's no charge. And they came over to me and they said, no, look, it's our fault. We understand. Um, yeah, you know, you've you done fantastic. And I said, yeah. well, I did say to you, country western is not going to be a good thing. But unfortunately, some people are very dedicated to um, oh, yeah, their, yeah, own, yeah. their own style. And it's like, you can't. You can have your own style. So if, if for instance, you, you phone me up and say, I want to do a disco, blah, blah. Yeah. I'd say to you, you can have 30 of your own tracks. Outside of that, you've got to let me run the night the way I'm going to run it. Yeah, so yeah. that we've got two and a half hours of you know different sort of tracks. Um, so of yeah, because normally I do half an hour of like seventies, half an hour, eighties, half an hour, nineties, and it'll be all bangers. So people really, you know, you're filling the yeah. floor all the time. Um, but if you came to me and said, I've got four and a half hours worth of music, you're gonna play the music I ask, I'm gonna say to you, that ain't gonna happen because you're gonna destroy the whole night. Um, and it's yeah, yeah. but people don't understand that, unfortunately. Um no, well, the, 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 thing, the thing is, is that um, they have a, an impression on the mind that, you know, when you've done something, it's a bit like Taekwondo, isn't it? When people come yeah. and go, well, why don't you do this? And, well, this, this is my class. I know how to run it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, they, they don't realise that actually behind that, you've got years and years of experience of doing something, um, you know, where they, they've just come for five minutes and think, well, actually, that's not right. <laughs> no, 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 sorry. Um, yeah. Well, it, you know, you, you said a, a number of things there. I know you mentioned about... Um, you know, you said about not having counselling. And I, I, I had some counselling. Um, I had some counselling for some issues that I had. And um, uh, I found it really ben beneficial. But uh, I don't know about you, but one thing that I have, I started doing in the last um, two to three years, I actually started, because I'm, I'm quite a hyper person. Um, and and they, uh, <laughs> I, do every, I do everything at 150 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I actually started um, meditating and breathing. And I, I never, ever thought, 
that I could would be able to sit still for long enough to be able to do that. I don't know whether you whether you tried it, whether you thought about it, or you know whether you do any. I, I don't know. It, it, it's it, it. I found it really tough when I first started, just sitting still and breathing, <laughs> not doing anything, uh, which was never ever me, never ever me. I remember my uncle when I was. Um, I can't remember how old I was. I want to say sort of seven or eight. Or it may, may have been a bit older than that, actually. But he, he offered me some money if I could sit still for three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't do it. I couldn't get that money. I just no. couldn't get I couldn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I gave up in the end because <laughs> the three minutes was just too long to, to sit still. Um, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I started sort of breathing, meditating. And, I, you know, I, I try and do a little bit uh, on a daily basis. I, I don't know whether you've ever tried it or whether you uh, ever thought about trying I've tried it years ago. Um, yeah. Somebody that I think is when I I, I done a, a friend of mine was doing Wing Chun and he, okay. he tried, tried to introduce me to a way of doing it. So I was sitting on the bed. Um, the lights are out. I was in the wing. I'm sitting. Mm. And I was sitting on the bed and um, he was sort of saying to me, "I'll oh, just imagine that you're you know at the beach, sitting on the beach, and all you can hear is the waves." So I'm doing yeah. this, and whether I fell asleep or whatever happened, I don't know what happened. But the next one moment I was on the bed the next moment I was on the floor which was like cold tiles and I was like oh my god <laughs> and there was a heavy bump you know and it's like I'd end up cracking my head and everything I thought no I won't do that again so uh mm. no I mean it's it's people do say to you that the um meditation is very good for you very good yeah. for the soul it's food for the thought isn't it or food, uh, food for the soul yeah I think I think I've, as I've got older I've, I'm like, you know my age has got a I've got a six in it now so <laughs> so I've come, I've come to that point where I thought do you know I'm gonna 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 try this and actually I do quite uh, sort of enjoy it. it it just gives me uh, a little bit of a break I have to stop I have to just set myself and uh, I do feel a lot better afterwards for it so anybody anybody listening to this you know ha- have a try or if you want to drop me a note and uh, then then please do um well we're coming towards the end but before we finish I, I wanted to ask you about your your competitions that you organize um you know I've I've, I've done it myself uh, I know you've come along to uh, some in the past I, I find it really I find it good, but I find it really tiring and very, oh, very. Yeah. Oh man, the night the night before, I can't sleep. Um, and the yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the stress in, I, is ridiculous. I'm in a room, and I don't know whether I mean people listening to this whether they understand what goes into organising an event. But um, you know, I, I had sleepless nights, nightmares. You know, day two days before the event just trying to make everybody feel good and comfortable and make sure that everything goes right. So, I mean, how, how do you cope with it? Um, <laughs> I don't think, I mean, obviously we've, we've, we've now sort of hosted around about 30 competitions. Mm. Um, and pre-pandemic, we were getting sort of 450, 425 um, every time, which we've seen a massive decrease down to around yeah. about 260, 280. I think people are, um, I, don't, I don't know how you feel, but for me, I think even with, um, obviously DJing with the clubs with championships definitely a lot of people are still very very scared of this you know this illness etc and mm. you know COVID um, I have my views on it yeah mm. I'm you know, very very uh, political but I try not to put them out too much because obviously yeah. there are a lot of people that sort of jump on you, oh, you, 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 you you're wrong blah 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 and I just say okay you know what you have your opinion my opinion on it is totally going to be different to everyone else um, and I've seen the championships, like I say, the numbers just drop. Yeah. Um, and it is quite scary because you think to yourself, you know, like, and, and especially with what's going on now mm. um, with the, you know, the, the war in Ukraine, suddenly we've got the cost of living 
has gone up. I've got instructors that are saying to me, well, we can't come down from Derby because it's costing too much. Can't come down from here. But yeah. we're still getting people from Scotland, Wales, yeah. you know, yeah, even yeah. Ireland, Poland. They're all they're still coming in. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I, I don't know. I think at the moment I'm looking and I'm sort of saying to myself, this is this is quite tough. You know, we've yeah. got yeah. another competition which is Taekwondo Pure, um, and that's on the fifth of June. And it's, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, I don't know, is it going to work? You know, we've got all the belts. We've got four and a half thousand pound tied up in it, and we're like, well, you know, if it's not if two weeks before we haven't got enough competitors. We'll have to scrap it. Yeah, but then yeah, yeah. I'm also thinking, what's going to happen with all the belts? You know, yeah. we're the only ones that have actually put a, a Taekwondo Championships black belts only and for belts, and yet we're not getting the um, yeah. we're not getting the attendance. Or we haven't. I can't. Yeah, you know, what I see on the actual system itself that actually takes all the attendees, I haven't seen. I've seen probably half a dozen people enter, but I'm hoping that's going to change in the next few weeks. You know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it is. It's. I think it's. It's an extremely tough thing to do to host the championships um because like you say you're you're running around on adrenaline all day um you know i mean i had uh, i suffer from um cramp and i tend to push my body to such a level where um you know i might not sleep say for 24 hours before 48 hours before yeah and then i'll go to the championships and i've got bags under my eyes look, look like you could put your shopping in um you've got people saying to you, oh god you look really tired and you're like well, you you host the championships and you come and talk to me afterwards because it's one yeah. of the hardest things. And oh. of course, you're always dealing with complaints. You're dealing with people. You know, will yeah. come up to you and say, <laughs> yeah. "It should be you, know, you. You should be doing this." And I'm like, yeah. "No, no, no. This is how we do it." And yeah. I mean, how we run our championships is pretty different to everyone else because we have our um, five to I think it's five to twelve year olds. We have them in the morning, and yeah, we yeah. say to them, "We've got to be there at half past eight. And they're always finished by 12 o'clock. So all the parents love that. Then yeah, we have yeah. like uh, colour bolts. I think it's from 12 till 2. And then we have yeah. our black bolts from 2 till 7. So we have like yeah. five hours for black bolts alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it works really well because it means you've got more or less free competitions. It doesn't mean that you've got, you know, the, the problem that I see with competitions and I, I'm not, yeah, you know, I'm not talking about yours or anyone else's. I'm just saying yeah. that competitions I go to, they want to get everybody in to a, the championships and yeah, they want to yeah. bring, I don't know, um, six, seven hundred people together with another, I don't know, fifteen hundred spectators, and it's like it's just so disarray for me, and it's yeah. so confusing because I think, why do you do that? And it's you know, yes, you can come to our championships and you go, okay, they've got with the juniors, it's it's packed as you can imagine because it's all yeah. mums and dads and aunties and uncles and brothers, sisters and grand and everyone else is actually coming to watch them fight, even yeah, if they've yeah. got hoping how they're still there to fight yeah, and yeah. watch, you know. Um, but obviously in the afternoons, if you look at some of our pictures, you go, oh, there's only a few spectators, but it's, of course it is because most of them are coming by car, coming yeah, on yeah. their own, coming yeah, in no, I get that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it just seems to me a lot of tournament hosts yeah. are more interested in sort of filling it up and making it look so good and say, look, look at us. And it's like, well, why would you do that? Have yeah. a black belt there from 8am in the morning and then he doesn't fight till 7 in the evening. That's really unfair yeah. for me. You know, it's like, just yeah, for me, yeah. it's just... It doesn't feel right. So I've always sort of said that, um, you know, we, we shouldn't be having loads of spectators in, you know, because mm. to me, it's like, that's not the real reason why the competition is being held. It's being held for all the people yeah, yeah. that are um, competing. And, you know, like I say, it works nicely because the crossovers are always hard. So 12 till probably half past 12, you know, people are moaning because there's no seats. And it's like, well, yeah, because you've got two, two tournaments, so literally clashing. 
but nine times out of ten, the parents, as soon as little Johnny's been knocked out or they've won the medals and picked them up, they yeah. go anyway. Um, yeah. But for me, it's a, it's a very stressful uh, thing running tournaments. You, you're just like like you say, you can't sleep. Yeah. Um, it's pressure. I mean, I always ask every time. I always ask people on our Facebook group. You know, I say, look, let us know. Don't go and bitch about us. Come back to us and tell us, and we'll try yeah, yeah. and learn from that because it's the only way you can learn. We're going to make uh, mistakes. Well, I I, I agree, and um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll have to. I've got to be honest. In the last uh, few years, because I've I've been trying to do a, a few more things for myself, I haven't been to many other people's tournaments. Uh, you know, I know my students have come along to yours, and they've had a good time. And uh, you know, I'd, I'd um, I have promised myself that I'd perhaps uh, do that a little bit more and go go along. And, um, you know, see how people are doing, see how people are running uh, their events, you know, and maybe we can. One, one, one thing I'm not, one thing I'm not is I'm not proud to say if somebody's doing something, I think, wow, that is good. I'm going to do that. Um, yeah. you know, and go to someone and say, wow, how do you do that? And ask people for advice. Never been, uh, you know, too up myself to ask people uh, for advice or to say, wow, that, that's a lot better than we do it. So we all learn yeah. from each other, don't we? I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. Everything yeah. we do, it's like even if you, if you look at, like I said earlier on in the, um, yeah, the, the when we started the meeting, um, I said that everything's learned behaviour. You know, yeah, yeah. if your instructor teaches you hard, you're going to teach yeah. hard because you believe that's the way. You know, and I think the 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 a very common thing that I see with teaching, um, I often see black bolts. I mean, instructors or people that have turned into instructors. And they've failed. And the reason why they've failed is because I run classes, I don't know about yourself, but um, in the peak, my classes had 50, 60 students in at one time. Yeah. So like they're, they're big classes. Even now I've, I'm sort of running on sort of like 35, 40 students yeah. Uh, yeah. per class. So my classes are big. So, of course, those that have been trained by us and they obviously become instructors, they think that, oh, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to run a big school. And they don't understand the amount of hours and the amount of money it takes to actually generate them students through the door. Yeah. And, and years, yeah, years as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the years that we put in, you know, there, there's some real heartache stories that you just think, oh, my God, you know, you, you, I've heard people that have built up classes and they've been destroyed. And, you know, like I've, I've had instructors that, for instance, come to me and said, um, my, my school has been more or less closed down because one student. And I said to him, and I told you that one of the skills we need to learn as instructors is actually if someone starts you know, being very derogatory to you, you take them to, because with me, I take mm. them to the side and I try and educate them. Just say, look, yeah. you're being derogatory. You're yeah. talking when I'm talking. You're basically saying things in the changing room that you shouldn't be saying about yeah. me in the class. Yeah, if you're not happy, then you need to leave because one bad apple would just destroy the whole thing. Oh, well, it, um, it, it, it can. And, and, and to be honest, I mean, I've, I've had... I've, I've had I've had that, and I've had to say to people, <laughs> I've had to people, I have to say like, this is time that I need to go. There's the door, yeah. okay, you know, go somewhere else. Uh, and I've had to say that on a number of occasions. And I think you have to be strong enough um, to do that. People, yeah, people, I mean, new instructors don't realise how much stress because obviously they just think that you 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 know you turn up, you rock up at the class, you put a few pads out, you kick the pads, and they, that's it. But they don't understand that sometimes you've got to deal with. I mean, I've dealt. I don't know about you, but I've dealt with students that have their mum's got cancer, and I've actually been oh, there. Yeah, to yeah. Them. I've had yeah, a guy yeah. that phoned me yeah. two o'clock in the morning was going to take his life, and I had to go to his house, call yeah. in the emergency services, and actually talk him down um, because he wanted it's to. Tough, talk isn't it? him. And it's, it's tough. People don't realise that we're kind of. I don't know. I think we're um, advertising 
gurus, yeah. we're you know, we're we're consultants, we're you know, like we're well, therapists. Well, you, we're well, you, have, you have to be able to. Think, I mean, I you know, I, I had this is going back many years ago now, but uh, a young girl who couldn't tell her parents that she was pregnant, so she phoned me up. Uh, you know, told me and I, and wanted me to tell her parents. You know. <laughs> Uh, and stuff like stuff like that. So right. I mean, you, you have to you have to you have to do it all. Uh, we don't sign up for it, but unfortunately, that's what you get. And you, it's you the unwritten it. rules of uh, being the coach. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, I think the other thing is, I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, when I say to you know, I've, I've said it in the past to my students, and they say, I, I said, an instructor, a real instructor, loves his students. Oh yeah. I said, and when they get that disloyalty of that student, you know, packing up and going to another club, yeah. Yeah, especially if you've nurtured them from white belt all the way up to black or second degree, third degree, and they go to another club and they're more or less all like, you know, having a go at you all the time. And you're like, how did that happen? How did we get to this juncture yeah. where I don't feel I've, I've done anything for this person? It's just that they've, you know, I, I find there's a lot of people out there, uh, or should we say a few people out there that kind of coerce, you know, some of your students into their clubs. Yeah. They think the grass is greener. Yeah. And then you know they they don't want to come back because they've realised they've made a massive mistake. Yeah, and it's and it is quite hard. But as instructors, we get so involved because we're we're passionate about what we're doing. Yeah. You know, and there's no I don't think there's anything more rewarding for me than seeing a student who comes in. has got, for instance, I've got a couple of kids that are autistic, mm. and you know they're getting their black belts. And once they get their black belts, it, it's amazing feeling because you think I've changed their life. I've given them some sort of ground. Yeah and some yeah. sort of rule, set of rules that will help them in their everyday life, you know? Yeah, um, but as instructors, we do. We, we, I think we overcommit to wheelchair, but, I mean, sometimes you think, I wish I could be hard <laughs> and just be very still-faced with them, but you can't because you just, they've got a problem. You know there's a problem, like a father, because you've been there all the time. You can say, you know, whatever the name is of the person, you just say, I can see there's something wrong. What's the matter? Do you want to talk about it? And then the next thing, they're giving you everything. And you're like, I wish I'd asked. Oh, my God, because well, now I've got to try and deal with this. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be wrapping it up. But it's the last thing I want to say is that recently somebody put on Facebook, they said, oh, you know, what, what's, what's the, what should you have as, as a talent for an instructor? And I said, I said, a big heart and you've got to love people. Yes. Uh, yes. And I, I would stand by that. And, and obviously you do. I, I know yeah. that. Uh, I know, I know, you know, people that have spoken about you and uh, said about you and all. You know, I want, I want to, first of all, I want, I want to say thank you very, very much for coming on this podcast. That's the first thing. The second thing is I want to say I'd love to speak to you again uh, in the future and catch up. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, come along to uh, uh, get along to one of your, your events. Um, I want to say to the people, the listening, um, if you want to get in touch with, uh, with Master Snow, or anything that he's doing, we'll put some information in the show notes uh, for you. But um, you can also uh, uh, find him on, uh, on Facebook as well and all the usual places. Uh, Master Stone, I want to say thank you very, very much. Um, if you hang on for a moment, we'll, we'll have a quick chat after the. Yes, sir, yeah, yeah. Thanks, after, thanks after for the. Uh, thanks for uh, too. You're very, very welcome. Thank you too much, very much for the um, uh, Living Martial Arts podcasters. We'll be back very, very soon with uh, another podcast, another uh, martial artist for you to listen to. Thank you. And uh, hopefully speak to you and see you soon. Take care.